Hi, and welcome to the Authentic Audience Podcast. I'm your host, Krista Ritma. This is a marketing podcast like you haven't heard before. It's about real connections and honest conversations. Why am I here? To remind you that you can fly. If you're brave enough to listen to that calling inside you, I'm here to serve you and show you that marketing can and should be honest, that the truth sells and authenticity wins. So how can businesses and brands build a real and authentic audience? The Authentic Audience Podcast gives you insight into growing your business and marketing strategies to gain real followers and loyal customers. Each week, I create a space of radical honesty for thought leaders and entrepreneurs who have built successful businesses to share their insights on business, marketing, relationships, life, and spirituality. Each episode is sure to remind you the power of storytelling and truth selling. Get ready to get real, get raw, get honest, and keep growing. Maggie Kane is the founder and executive director of A Place at the Table, the first pay-what-you-can cafe in downtown Raleigh. She graduated from North Carolina State University in 2013 and began working for a nonprofit with people experiencing homelessness. By befriending many people living on the margins, she knew something needed to be done. She has a heart to serve, a desire to be inclusive, and a passion for loving people. Through her work with people on the streets, she realized the power of community, the importance of dignity, and the beauty in bringing people together over food. February 2015, a place at the table was birthed and she never looked back. Opened in 2018, serving thousands of people in Raleigh. Um, What else was I going to say? Oh, outside of the cafe, you will catch her running marathons and eating peanut butter, but you will mainly find her at at the cafe loving on people. So if you've listened to the podcast, you know why Maggie's here. I'm so grateful to talk to you and welcome you. Hi. Hi, I'm so glad to be here. Yay. Thanks for Uh, having me. What a beautiful mission you have. Um, So many questions, but first I start every podcast with asking, how are you? What's happening in your world today? It's a funny time to be alive. Tell me what's happening. (laughs) It is a funny time to be alive. I think we were supposed to do this podcast a couple months ago. I would have had a completely different answer pre-COVID. And then COVID hit and here we are. Uh, We are good. We are good. It It is, I think, 100 degrees in Raleigh, North Carolina today. So it is hot, but we are thankful, and I am drinking a sparkling water, so I am great. Uh, so are you open? What's happening with the restaurant? Yes. So we are open. We have not closed during COVID. Well, that's not true. For the first three months, we stayed open, um, and we just altered what we did, and we did curbside and we are still doing curbside now. We closed for about three weeks. So we could, we had an expansion project that we were supposed to do in early March. And then again, COVID happened and we realized how many people needed a good dignified meal. So we stayed open and then we just closed for three weeks, finished our expansion project, built a bigger kitchen so we could feed more people. And now we are open daily and just seeing so many awesome people. Oh, congrats. That's amazing. Um, so what is your why? I could probably guess, but behind all of this amazing work that you do, um, what would you say is your purpose or why behind all of this? Yes. Thank you for asking that question. I don't think I've, I've gotten that question in quite some time. I, I love that, that book, start with your why or what, what I think, what is yeah, Simon Sonic? Start with why that's it. Start with why. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so my why is 100% that I, I believe wholeheartedly and strongly that I was 
created on this earth to love people and to love the unloved. I had a rough few years of school growing up and I was one of those unloved. I was made fun of a lot and I really hated it. And so after, after school, I said, I am going to make sure everyone feels loved, cared for, um, and just felt a part of something. And so my, my why is, is because I, I believe I'm here every single day to love people and to make people feel included in, in life. It's so beautiful and so important, the work that you're doing. So um, I was telling you before we hit record that feeding people is such a big part of my spiritual practice. And are you familiar or do you know uh, Neem Karoli Baba or Maharaji? He was like an Indian guru. Yes, 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 yes. Okay. So he is my my dude. And um, so when I found you, I was just totally called to interview you because you feed people for a living. And I grew up working in the service industry and I really loved it. Um, I always say if like, you know, everything goes wrong in my marketing company, I can always feed people. Um, I loved being a server. I loved working at a restaurant. Um, it was really amazing, but you know, so many, the stories go with Maharaji, people would say, you know, Baba, Baba, how do I get enlightened? How do I get enlightened? Like, how do I meditate? And he would just say, feed people, go away, feed people, go away, you know? And that was always his answer was feed people. And so that's become a huge part of my path. And my husband is this amazing chef, cook, you know, we have people over for dinner and it's what we were talking about, that idea of a Titi Deva Baba um, and just, creating this atmosphere where people feel loved and fed. And that's so, so, so important to my path. But turning that into a business model um, where it's come as you are, pay what you can, how did that work? How did this idea come about? What? Tell me sort of the story of how this works as a business model. And I'm so interested. Yes. Do you also have the feed people uh, padded on your arm as well? I do not. I do not. Uh, but it's, um, I have a TT Deva Baba on my left arm. She was just looking, we can see each other. We're on video. And then, um, I have Ram 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 in Maharaji's handwriting tattooed on my other arm. So oh, I love that. Yeah. You're giving me some inspiration. Yeah. Um, so, so absolutely. Yes. I, one, I feel so fortunate to be able to feed people every day. I, feeding people is my pull towards loving people and creating community. Um, It's the one thing that we all have in common. So years and years ago, I graduated college. I actually thought I was going to go live abroad. I thought I'm going to go do some sort of mission work abroad and, and get away from Raleigh. Not that it was bad, but I've been here my whole life. And I started working while I was in school still. I started working and volunteering at a day shelter, working primarily with people experiencing homelessness. And I just fell in love with these people that I was meeting. Um, Many of them, I graduated college, many of them came to my college graduation and showed up for me, right? And so I left that day after college graduation saying, I need to, I need to work at the state shelter. And so I stayed working. I ran operations and, and again, continued to know people every single day who are primarily on the streets or living in severe poverty and, and knowing people for me, like I just said, is, is eating with people. And so eating with people facing extreme poverty or experiencing homelessness is eating in the soup kitchen. So I would go, we walk about a mile down to the soup kitchen. We would stand in line outside. Once we got inside, we'd get handed a plate and we didn't get to choose what we wanted. And then we'd have to find a seat together 
and normally couldn't find one and have to eat quickly so someone else can come in and eat. And in Raleigh, we have this awesome soup, soup kitchen that feeds about 300 people in a single hour. It's amazing. But what I found was it was so different than my life experience where I can go eat wherever I want to eat. I can choose what I want to eat and I can spend hours getting to know someone over food. And so at that moment, I started, I started, I decided that next time we go out to eat, I'm going to take, I'm going to start taking people out to eat. Um, mm -hmm. And so we go out for birthdays or anniversaries. And I found that they wanted to go to very similar places. We have a large buffet restaurant called Golden Corral in Raleigh. And so we would go to Golden Corral a lot. And so my first instinct was, why are we always at Golden Corral, right? And I said, <laughs> I said it's probably because there's a lot of food and people want to eat and, um, and they get to eat a plethora of food. And so I asked my friend, John, who happened to be experiencing homelessness at the time, I said, John, why do you always want to come to Golden Corral every time we go out? And he said, Maggie, two reasons. The first being I'm seen and I'm heard. Here, there are multiple people who greet me, acknowledge me, say hello. They come and see if I need a refill on my coffee or my drink. And then they say bye as I'm leaving. Living in poverty means you get treated as invisible a lot. People walk right over you, literally. And then the second, he said, here I have choice, right? So I get to choose if I want a waffle or if I want a salad because I'm feeling a little bit healthier. Um, living in poverty means everyone makes choices for you from where you sleep, to what you eat. And here I get to have that choice. And so at that moment, this was in 20, early 2014, it was, a, it, it was like a mic drop. And I said, we've got to change this. We have got to provide a place where all people felt welcome and dignified and cared for and seen. Um, I started researching. I found the pay what you can system, found that there were over 60 pay what you can cafes across the country through the, there's a foundation called the One World Everybody Eats Foundation. And they had helped foster these cafes across the country. And, and all, you know, all were different, different hours, different names, different, different founders, executive directors. But what was in common was they used this pay what you can model. And I went to visit the closest one and I said, if Boone, North Carolina can do this, then Raleigh can too. Uh, brought it back in 20, in 2014, I went up, went up to visit this cafe a couple different times and said, someone's surely going to tell me that I am crazy and should not do this. But I kept insisting. I said, we're going to start a pay what you can cafe in Raleigh. Um, and here we are, you know, it, we're, we're six years later and, and we've been wow. open for two and a half years and, and it's incredible. That's just the most beautiful story for so many reasons. One, you know, I always look at business with this like marketing hat on, and this is a business, what you've created mm -hmm. and, um, the intention behind what we do is always just, I find the most important thing. Um, and what actually creates success when the intention is like pure is of service and is to deliver value to people. And that's what you do. And then, you know, you took a lot of action, obviously. So what was the biggest challenge or what is the biggest challenge in running a pay as you can restaurant? Do people like, are you surprised by how much people do give or like, you know, what, what's, what was the biggest challenge and what's the biggest surprise, I guess? Yeah, sure. Um, so how I'll, I'll tell you quickly how it works. Cause pay what you can is super confusing. Yeah. Um, yeah. Tell me more about that. 
but just just because it'll preface the challenges. Yeah, yeah. Right. So when you walk in, you see a regular restaurant. You wouldn't even know we were a nonprofit. You, it's any other cafe that you would go to, um, and you walk up to the register, and the person says your suggested. You order your food. You see menu prices, and then they say your suggested price is. Would you like to pay that price less or volunteer for your meal? Um, and so all of our prices are suggested. So some people pay that. Some people pay more and pay it forward for someone else. Some people pay less. Uh, because some weeks are just harder than others and all we can do is pay less. And then some people volunteer for their meal. So they still have that hand up versus hand out. They feel a part of the community. They feel loved. They feel fed, like we like we mentioned. Um, challenges, 110%. I challenge every single day, um, especially in COVID, okay? I mean, we'll look back a year from now, maybe, maybe two, three, maybe five. Maybe two. <laughs> um, whenever, maybe never, but no, I'm just kidding. Um, and so COVID has totally spun us, spun us for a loop and every day is a challenge. But originally, we it took us, a, a lot of people say to me, Maggie, you've been following your journey the whole time. And and we have um, a pretty big, not as big as you, but marketing following um, online. And so they, they think we've been following you all since the beginning. I said, oh, since 2014. And they say, no, since you opened in 2018. And so it took us about four years to really get off the ground and open a, a this pay what you can cafe because the concept is so foreign and people don't understand how it could possibly work. Um, first being that I do not have a nonprofit I mean, I've worked for a nonprofit for two years, but I don't have a nonprofit background. I didn't go to school for it. I have worked in restaurants as a server bartender, but I've never owned a restaurant or started a restaurant. And so we had that learning curve of how to do that. Um, but then, then again, this foreign concept of what is pay what you can. And so finding a landlord to rent us a space was really hard. Right. And then finding funding to get in this space right? We, we couldn't just go get a loan. And I was 25 at the time. And so who's going to give me a loan to start this, this major operation of someone who has no experience whatsoever. And so the funding and the location in a lease was really difficult. And so that's what took so many years. Um, then once we opened marketing wise it was difficult. How do you, how do you market, market the concept? People, that this is why I explained what it is because people automatically assume that we are a soup kitchen. And so paying customers, which we need to survive are automatically thinking we're a soup kitchen. So how do you go against that and change that, that bias towards it? Um, so that, that was, was actually really one of my questions and we can, yeah. I want to talk to that a little bit more sure. is that bias because I lived in San Francisco for a long time and homelessness is totally out of control there. You know, you're hoping that people that you walk over are like breathing. I mean, it's just, you know, really bad, you know? And it's like, I feel that I was almost like, uh, desensitized to it because everywhere I went, everywhere I turned, it was just like, keep your head down. You know, like I would definitely, you know, give my meals, I would take everything to go, but you know, my sister-in-law actually, she works in LA, um, spearheading this other campaign around homelessness. And so she talks to me a lot about how to actually support people living in poverty versus, you know, enable and, and this whole, it's a whole conversation. Right. And so when you're thinking about going to, out to eat, um, did you find that people were biased or didn't want to eat there or treated people living in poverty differently or, you know, what that experience was like and how you sort of overcame that part of it. 
Absolutely. A hundred percent. That was that, that guard is still up. We're still proving that to people every single day. I'll speak to groups and, and it'll be, it'll be a group of 50 people and, and in Raleigh, which is not, a, it's not LA, it's not San Fran. And I'll say, who's been to a place of table. And this is two and a half years later. And we have, I mean, I mean, we've been on good morning America. We've been on the today show. We've, we've gotten this great press. We're so fortunate. And Oh, and room 450, not a single person has been to table. And then, so then the question will will arise and it will be like, well, I thought it was a soup kitchen. Like, are we supposed to be eating there? So we get this every single day. Um, well, number one, first and foremost is it, invite people in to say, just come mm-hmm. and try it, right? Yeah. Come and try a meal. And so then when they're in, they're hooked. They, they see it. They can sit at a table, have a nice meal, and then they can, they see that, oh, wait, like this, you know, older white woman in heels is filling my water, but then so is this young guy who is, you know, um, you know, in his twenties and, and, and looks fine, presentable, right? Who, who's, who's, um, experiencing poverty, right? You just don't know. And you might sit Mm. next to someone at the community table, which a lot of people sit at, and we have lots of tables, but we have a community table and you might sit next to someone who looks just like you and, and you start having a conversation and you realize that, oh, wait, you're living in poverty right now, but we're from the same hometown and we both went to the same college, right? And you start having that conversation. Um, so relationships for us have really changed that bias. Um, we, our main mission is community and good food for all, regardless of means. And we do that through eating together at community tables, like I mentioned, and, and crossing those, those boundaries and, and, you know, getting to know one another, also volunteering together. And so we have um, lots of different volunteers every single day. And some, you just don't even know who's volunteering mm. for their meal and who signed up to volunteer and they're volunteering together. And so it's neat to see these cool friendships come out of just washing dishes together. Right. And so, so our my number one thing is the is building community and building relationships because that changes everything. Once you have totally. a relationship, you can't see past it. Um, yeah. so that, I think the second thing is our marketing. It, we've been on social media since day one and we will, you know, we, we posted today this giant club sandwich. And so people who, who may not have been there see this awesome club sandwich and they're like, wow, I should go try that. That actually looks good. Like that doesn't look like a soup kitchen. Um, and so trying some, some targeted marketing around that as well, mm-hmm. but really, truly it's, it's relationships and it's, it's telling the story through our relationships. It's so important. I always say that sales is just building relationships with people. And when you can do that, like so oftentimes, whether it's our customer or somebody living in poverty, we forget the humanity. And I think that just goes back to what we were talking about in Nepal before we joined. She was asking me about my tattoo and everybody here that's listening. I I talk about this a lot. I actually have an episode called Atitu Deva Bhava um, where I talk about this concept of the guest is God. And in Nepal, when you show up, you know, after trekking for three days in this little village where most of the time they've never seen a Westerner before and you knock at the door, you don't speak the same language, nothing. They not only give up their beds, um, they let you into their house and they cook for you until you're so full. You have to cover your plate and say, Ukus Mukus Bio, which means I'm so full. I could suffocate oh. or, or they'll keep feeding you. And 
I remember thinking that if somebody showed up at my door, you know, I got this tattoo because I remember thinking that if somebody showed up on my door, you know, some foreigner speaking another language, looking like they'd just been trekking for a week, there's no way I would have let them in and write them dinner. And how do we create that connection. And even now, you know, I have a tattooed on my arm and we try and live this, but like we do it for our friends, people we know, people we trust, you know? And so this idea of building relationships and building community and learning to see the humanity, um, I just think is so beautiful, you know, that everybody's all eating together and you don't know who's living in poverty and who isn't. It's just the most beautiful concept. And, you know, I would like to think that if somebody showed up at my door now, um, you know, I would take a step back and really try and see the God, you know, realize that this is somebody that, you know, is coming to me. But it's hard. I think that we have all these preconceived ideas of what people living in poverty or people that have less money than us are experiencing. And it's a really beautiful thing that you're doing to bridge that. I, not just for, you know, feeding people, but for the like the bigger idea of like living in community with everyone. Oh, thank you for saying that. Yeah. I, you know, a big, a big question I always get all the time is, am I going to be sitting next at the table with someone who smells and has like a bat, like a sleeping yeah. bag on his back? I can tell you right now, people in poverty take better and it, it's, people experiencing homelessness take better care of themselves than I do. You're looking at me right now, not showered in three days. Okay. Like they take pride in the way they look and they're not walking around smelling. Right. Um, or another question is, or another question I get is, I mean, like someone going to OD or overdose while I'm sitting there eating. Right. No, like we are all a step away from poverty. We all could be, we all, my friend, John, who, who I told you the story about golden corral, he was working a fine job as a restaurant in a, in a restaurant as a server, the restaurant closed down and he couldn't get a job. He was in his fifties and no one would hire him. And so he was one paycheck away and lost everything he had. And so, you know, I just think there's, there's that, right? Like we have got to treat each other as people, as humans. So. It's so beautiful. I was just writing the sound because that's going to be the sound bite that we use because that is just so beautiful. Um, so going back to my question was what's the biggest surprise? So you talked about the challenges in doing this. What have been some sort of unforeseen surprises that have come out of this for you guys? Um, just like maybe from like the human standpoint, but also from a business. Sure. Yeah. Um, so from a business standpoint, the fact that it works is yeah. a huge shock. Like, let that sink in. Like, the fact that this actually works, that that people in this community own this and hold this and take this and, and support it every single day. And so the fact that it works and is financially sound is crazy. Um, so we really, we one, we've seen that so many folks in poverty really feel dignified, respected, and love being at table. And then people who can pay it forward, pay it forward. Mm. Um, last year we had, you know, we served over 13,000 meals to people who could not afford a meal. And, and I think it was 28,000 times people in this community paid it forward. So you just, it shows you that this model can actually work and people believe in it and want to be a part of it. Um, and I think this, the second thing from the um, humanity side is that these relationships are happening. Um, you know, that, 
people are coming together and becoming friends. And uh, we have right now, we have, I'll tell you two stories. Um, we have a guy named Dino who has been with us since day one. Um, yes, his name is Dino, we think. <laughs> that's what he gave us day one, so that's what we call him. He did not say a single word other than his name in 2018. And so he would eat his food and then he wanted to do dishes always. He didn't want to do anything else. So he'd eat his waffle, he'd go do dishes, and he wouldn't say a word. Six months later, he he started talking more. So we'd bring people back there. Hey, Gino, can you show Kate how to do dishes? And he would show her how and start telling his story. And then a year later, right in the beginning of 2019, he asked if he could come out of the dish room. He was like, I'm done with this. I don't want to do dishes anymore. I want to talk to people. So he started going to tables, filling people's waters, asking how they were doing, or even door greeting, standing at the door and saying hello to people. Then we had a news story come and do a story on us. And they said, um, they said, Hey, do you have anyone that wants to be interviewed? And so our general manager, Josh said, let's interview Dino. And I was like, no, don't do it. Don't do it. He's going to say no. And he immediately was like, let me do it. And he talked for 20 minutes about what a place at the table meant to him. Um, and then the second story is we have two people who are pretty, uh, you know, they're, they're some of our bigger donors and they come every single day and have coffee and the Dinos and the Johnnies and all these folks who are experiencing poverty are sitting at the table with them, sharing a meal every day. It's like, they're just this, this, these two people sitting there, they're in their eighties and these folks are just kind of cycling, circling through sitting with them. And it, it, I mean, it's the best part about their day. They look forward to it every single day. And so the fact that two people from completely different walks of life can sit together and share a meal and, and really, truly love and respect each other. It's just super cool. Like society tells us that that's not supposed to happen. Yeah. I mean, it's like you're breaking all the rules, you know, in, in the best way, you know, the societal rules that we're like meant to follow. And I just think that it's, it's so beautiful. And after hearing you speak about it and researching you from a business standpoint, it makes so much sense to me why it works. Um, your attitude is everything. Like I think mindset is so important and you guys can hear her. She's like, obviously so passionate about this. This is her life and, um, gets so much like you're so rewarded every single day. You know, it's just the reward is endless. And I, I love that feeling. And I love meeting people that have that like contagious energy, um, because you're doing what you're meant to be doing. And I think that when you can find that flow and when you're being of service and creating also abundance, right. For yourself, for your community, for like, you're not, you know, it's actually working financially, which I think is a a really important piece of this whole thing, because not only do you get to be of service every day, but you're actually, you know, creating financial success in this business model, which is just amazing. But it can feel, I think, you know, it took you four years to open and there was so much that went into this. You were 25 years old. I mean, I can sit here and look at you and say, yeah, her mindset was spot on. Like her intention was Ooh. right. Like, you know, it makes sense why it works. I can see that. And it's so beautiful when I sit on this side of the interview, because I get to actually see, you know, one of the reasons why I started this podcast was what makes businesses successful. Mm -hmm. I find these businesses that inspire me and it's like, well, what makes it work? You know, and every single episode, it's intention, it's authenticity. Mm -hmm it's being of service. It's a bigger purpose. And then it just flows and it's so beautiful to witness. But 
it's hard to like hold on to that mindset throughout the ups and downs. So my question is, you know, I think there's a lot of people out there that have these big passions or these ideas or this way that they can see themselves being of service, launching a business, whatever. What would your advice be for somebody that's like you at 25, you know, that's sort of coming up against walls, like thinking that it might not be possible, but has this like drive, this passion, this purpose for wanting to create something like this? Yes, yes, yes. Um, so many things. Um, but I, I, I think the first thing I tell people is, is you're gonna have those days where you feel like you want to quit and give up. And I have had many of those. I remember calling my mom after a weekend and I said, I'm done. I can't do this anymore. And I'm a person of faith. And so I, I, prayed that night and I said, God, I want, I want one of two things to happen. I want to find some sort of job. I was working in bars and restaurants at the time. I said, I want to find some sort of passion job where I am loving people and helping people. Um, and, and while I'm working on table or I want table to a place at the table to find a space. And the next day I get back from out of town and uh, we had my, my board of directors met. I have a, I have a board of directors over me and they decided to start paying me a livable wage. So I didn't have to work multiple jobs. And then the next day, literally not even 24 hours later, I get a call from our landlord, our current landlord that said, Maggie, I think we found a space for you. And so, so it, it, it doesn't have to mean you're a person of faith or not, but it truly like you're going to have those days. So just own those days and, and find a way to get through them. But my way to get through them was people. Um, find your people. I People tell me all the time I'm an entrepreneur and how did I do it? And I said, well, I don't know what the textbook definition of entrepreneurship is, but I know that I did not do it alone. If entrepreneurship is is unique and one person doing it, that is not me because I found people that could lift me up when I was down people who had the skills that I didn't have, people who knew how to do the things I didn't do. We're not supposed to do anything alone. We're not supposed to live this life alone. We are supposed to be in intentional community with people supporting people. And so I I always tell people, don't do it alone. Find people who believe in it and, and, or, and or believe in you and want to be a part of it too. Because good things happen when people come together. Um, so, so that is my big thing is like, find your people uh, and lean in and ask for help. Don't be afraid to ask for help. People want to help people. They just need to be asked usually. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so if you you ask, they'll probably say yes. And if they don't drop, leave them be for a minute and then ask again and then ask again. Like that's such good advice. Like keep asking. And, and then maybe they, maybe they will never say yes. But just my, maybe they will. I, my last name's Kane and someone in Raleigh, big developers, last name is Kane. And so the biggest myth is that like literally if you Google, if you Google Maggie Kane, one of the top questions is Maggie Kane's parents. And so I don't come from money. And so they, everyone says, you know, are you John Kane's daughter? And so no, I, silly me made so many mistakes and I don't think they're mistakes because it led me to where I am, but I emailed John Kane in 2014. I said, Hey, you know, I don't really talk to my dad. So, you know, you may be my long lost father. Would you like to be a part of my project, a place at the table, right? You don't do that to a very wealthy man and, and well-known man in Raleigh, but he didn't respond. 
he probably thought it was crazy and put am. Um, and then a year later, I emailed him again. Didn't hear anything. A year later, I emailed him again. Didn't hear anything. When we opened, I emailed him again. And now there's some of our donors. So, um, you know, it, it just keep asking. I think persistence is so important. I say that a lot, especially around, I'd give a whole talk on, you know, selling and, and it's about asking for the sale and just asking, um, I think is just something that we just aren't really conditioned to do. We don't want to bother anybody. And actually early on, one of my mentors told me, um, you know, if you want somebody to be in your life, if you want uh, to work with somebody or anything at all, just pop in every six months and just remind them you're still there and just like be persistent. And I just think that that's the best advice. And I've done that many times over the years. And, and I think going back to what you said about faith, I think that that's really important too, because faith, this belief in something bigger, you can call it whatever you want. You and I both have it and we would have different definitions for it. But at the end of the day, I think that there's something about surrendering to something bigger and trusting. Um, and I think that when it comes to, I always say that entrepreneurship is like my greatest teaching in spirituality and faith because um, the challenges and the surrendering that needs to happen, like I have a shrine and before every podcast, I'm like, you know, give them what they need. Like this is, you know, like I really do give so much up to this greater good of being of service of love and whatever you want to call it. And, and I think that it, for me, it's about mindset. Like if we want to put like a business word on the mm -hmm. faith, right. It's mindset. It's you had this unshakable mindset, this unshakable faith, this belief, and two things. One, you trusted it. You surrendered to it. You asked. I tell people all the time, ask, ask your business what it needs from you. Ask spirit, ask whatever yes. the thing is that you are here to love. You know, you just have to ask. And, and so part of my homework for a lot of my clients is to sit down and have a conversation with your business and ask your business what it needs. Um, and I just think that that's, you know, really ties into this, but also the mindset piece of it, um, is everything. It's, it's really, really, really important. And, you know, you can teach strategy and you can teach budgeting and all of these things. But when I see somebody that has the right mindset, um, it's so much easier and things just flow. And the last part is, and I learned this when I did my yoga teacher training is when you like actually truly dedicate your life, like you have to mean it to yep. being of service things just like magically. Oh, yeah. Every, I am so shocked at this, especially like it happened to me a lot when I was doing like karma yoga and was really into just like, how can I be of service? How can I be of service? And when you actually get into that mindset, you know, I've heard stories of yoga teachers, like their car breaks down and then all of a sudden like a brand new car gets like gifted to them so they can get there. And just, you know, these really beautiful stories and whatever your faith, whatever you believe in, I think being of service is something we can all get behind. Mm -hmm. um, and I see it in you. And I actually, I was at Burger King the other day. I hate to admit it, but we were on a road trip and they were vegetarian. So they have the impossible burger. So we were like, we got, oh my God, we got how to was eat. That? Is that delicious? It was great. I mean, I haven't had a burger in a very long time, so it was amazing. But we were on a road trip, stopped. And the guy that helped me what had so much purpose. And like, I always want to collect these people. And my husband and I talk about this all the time. I've tell stories about this lady that does spray tans who has this purpose. And it's not about what you do. It's about your why. 
And he wanted to make me a fresh impossible burger. He treated me like we were at a five-star restaurant. He like, it was just his excitement and his passion. He was like a manager at Burger King. And I was blown away and left with this energy of just like, oh my God, like I felt the love in the meal. I felt the love in the exchange. And I just think that being of service and creating that intention is so important. And it's something that can't really be taught. Mm -mm. Um, but it's something that it's like this muscle we're constantly having to flex as business owners, um, is remembering why we do it. So you're just such a perfect reminder of that. Um, and I'm just so excited for people to hear this podcast. You're so nice. But I I think, I think you're right. I think opening your eyes to to seeing the super cool things that happen. I used to have a code word with one of my best friends and and I think it was like food truck, something super random. But every time that I saw like when one door would close, another one would magically open, I would I would tell her I'd be like, food truck, I would just text her that. And it was just super cool to watch. I um I'm also a firm believer, something else I tell people is to celebrate everything. So celebrate those magic moments, celebrate those small, small things that happen from, you know, you get your first five dollar donation to, you know, you tear the wall down to do construction. I mean, celebrate everything so you can live in those magical moments. And, and so you, it's just a small reminder over and over that you're in the right place. Yeah. I think that's really good advice. I force my team every week to celebrate our wins. So I make everybody tell me their personal and their professional win. And it's so important to me to celebrate, even if it was like something really small. Um, And I just think that, yeah, that's really, really good advice. So how can people support you? Like what is the best way to find you, to support you, to be in service to you, to help you grow if we're not in Raleigh? Yes, yes. Well, you can. Well, because obviously, if we're in Raleigh, yeah. Yes, right. Um, You can always come to Raleigh. Come see us during the week. Um, No, but if you can't, you can follow us. Follow us online uh, on social. We're at Table Raleigh. Uh, We also our website is tableraleigh.org, and so you can find us there. You can message us. We love getting messages. Um, If if anyone ever wants to chat, please email me. My my email's on the website. I'd be happy to talk or work through any of your, your business entrepreneurship journeys. Cause we just, we love to connect with people. It's so beautiful. It's like, you can really feel your energy and excitement for it. And I have this belief that, um, you know, when people are living in that flow, doing what they're supposed to be doing, it's like healing people. It's like healing this, you know, energy that so desperately, is needed right now. So thank you. Thank you for what you do. Thank you for sharing your story. Um, I'll put everything she just said in the show notes so you guys can find her, follow her, support her and learn more. Um, yeah, it's just such a beautiful conversation. Thank you for your energy, for your time, all of it. Thank you. It's so great to meet you and and be on here with you. And I am, I think I might steal your tattoo. (laughs) (laughs) I would love that. I would love that. so much. Yeah. It's so beautiful. And especially seeing it live, you know, out when I travel to Nepal, I just like, it's a reminder that I need all the time that we can do that here, you know? So anyway, uh, thank you for being with me and for everybody listening. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And until next time, keep growing. Mm -hmm.